Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 276 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by... Good friend of mine, former heavyweight world title challenger himself, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, this is the twelfth show in a row that we've done. It's the longest streak that we've that we've uh, that we've done together. But first and foremost, man, how are you? And thanks for coming on again. Oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm just uh, just working as always, man. Trying to stay in shape, but you know, always good, man. How are you? Very well, man. Very well, thank you. And um, yeah, this show will be pretty straightforward. We're going to get everything out of the way in terms of the review and preview and the news. And then the show pretty much is going to end with an in-depth interview with the former two-time heavyweight world champion Chris Bird. A man who's on a mission to make a comeback at age 50 with, um, with, with you know goals in his mind to, to become a, a free... He wants to win a world title at three further weights. He wants to come back at middleweight, win a world title there, come back at super middle after that, and then light heavyweight and win world titles at all three of those weights. And, of course, even if he picks up one world title, he'll break the world record set by Bernard Hopkins a few years back, being the oldest world champion. Um... Anyway, before wow. before we get onto that, like I say, we're going to do the talking here. Let's start with the review part. This one, it's really the only event to mention. It took place at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. Uh, on the undercard, Rolando Romero with another win. He's 13-0 now. A win for him against Avery Sparrow. Um, yeah, he's always seeming to impress Romero um, very much a guy that if you don't have your eye on already you certainly should have your eye on him uh, also on the card we saw Vic Pasilias he was 16-0 and he got in there with Reese Aleem who was 17-0 and um, Pasilias was down in the second the sixth the ninth and the eleventh round so four times he was on the canvas and that was the final time in that eleventh round there um, Aleem was really good man uh, for me, I was quite impressed with him. Haven't seen him before prior to that one there, but just the fact that he kept coming on, he kept just, um, you know, trying to come up with ways to 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 hurt his man again, you know, because he threw everything at the guy, and he was very, very tough, Persilias. Like I say, undefeated going in. But anyway, he came off second best. Good win there for Aleem. Um, Joe Arroyo on the undercard as well. He lost unanimously over eight rounds to Sharon Carter. A bit of an upset there um, going on. And the main event, Angelo Leo, he was on last week's show. He was defeated. He lost his WBO Super Bantamweight World Championship to Stephen Fulton. Um, Angelo Leo as well loses his undefeated record. He's now 20-1. and one. Um 
A unanimous decision over 12 rounds for Stephen Fulton, now 19-0, and the way he won the fight was very, very impressive. I'm going to go through these 12 rounds myself before I come to you, Eddie. Um, Round one, um, that was where Angelo Leo actually got cut on the left eye in that very first round. I think it was an accidental head clash. Fulton, you know, he he looked extremely sharp. He was really aggressive uh, from the get-go. And as well, he was coming off his career longest layoff. I think it was around about a year. He had a fantastic jab as well, Fulton. Bit of a slow start from Angelo Leo. Round two, another round um, for Fulton. Uh, Closer, I felt, in the second round. The whole fight, though, at that point could have been fought in a phone booth. I mean, it was very much on the inside, very much up close. Angelo Leo's cut man was doing a good job with the cut as well. Both men were landing effective shots to the other man's body. Round three, a good round again for Fulton. He was smart with his work. He was tying Leo up on the inside. He was boxing nicely at mid-range. And when in mid-range, Leo was a little bit lost at sea. Um, He was looking a little bit one-dimensional, which I hate to say, Angelo Leo. Um, Round four, we saw a lot of dog from both guys. Uh, Fulton looked a little bit uncomfortable at times for the first time in the fight. I think I might have edged that round to Angelo Leo. Nothing was was stopping him from coming forward, really. Uh, Fulton started to hold more and more when Leo was was getting in on the inside and... um, Fulton didn't like those famous Angelo Leo body shots. Round five, close round. Fulton showed more areas of his game. He was able to turn Leo on the ropes and start leaning on him. He was able to land some great body shots in that round as well, as was Angelo Leo. It was a close round, but I edged it to Fulton. Uh, Round six, great round again for Fulton. Leo was still undetermined at this point, but Fulton had a wider arsenal, brighter ideas, a great display of experience as well. You know, leaning on his man, getting off a flashy combination, then tying Leo up for a brief time to grab that that three-second breather, but not long enough, really, for the referee to intervene. Um, He was smothering the work of Angelo Leo. Round seven, a close round, but another one I gave to Fulton. Um... Angelo Leo was starting to really breathe hard in the corner at the end of the rounds at this point, and many before, to be honest. Um, Yeah, so another one for Fulton. Round 8, another round I gave to Fulton. I felt like he controlled everything there. Round 9, another round for Fulton. Um... He must have landed about 12 unanswered jabs at one point from long range. They were all sharp and snappy. Leo just couldn't get, you know, get past that jab, and honestly, Fulton like I said, just really impressed me, showed so much here, um, round 10, Fulton, for me, got that round as well, Angelo Leo's dad was saying to Angelo at the end of that 10th round that they need a knockout, and he was right, um, round 11, Fulton, for me, took that round as well, it didn't even look, um, like it was taking much out of him, to be honest, Fulton looked, you know, he didn't look tired, let's, let's just put it that way, and like I said, coming off the the layoff and all the rest of it, I was thoroughly impressed. I was I can't speak more highly of his performance. Um, he, he looked amazing. And round 12, another round for Fulton. Um, if anything, he probably fought Leo's fight for the entire 36 minutes when you really look back. And he still won on my card 11 of those 12 rounds. So I was just blown away. Um, Eddie, of course, you've known... Uh, Stephen Fulton for a long, long time. Nowadays, he's called Cool Boy Steph, but back when you knew him, he was he was he was Scooter. Um, tell us about obviously right. you know what he was like, perhaps back in the day briefly, and as, of course his performance um, was so impressive to dominate an undefeated world champion like that was was amazing. Well, uh, you know he was always a 
young, always young. You know what I mean? He was, he was a little kid when I came up, more like around the age of like 13, 14, but probably even earlier because I was up there. I've been in Philly for maybe over, over 13, 14 years now. Well, not a Philly, but in, just in general in the area, the tri-state area, maybe fi- maybe 15 years now. So, I mean, he was a kid kid when I first met him uh, in, in a gym called Shepherds. And he was like a you know a young kid running around playing in the gym, just like other kids did, like I did when I was young too. And uh, always a good kid, though. Not, you know, we obviously, you know, it wasn't in the best of situations when you're young, you know what I mean, in those hood areas, quote unquote. But always was uh, always was in the gym, always training. You know, uh, with his trainers, and uh, he was one of—I um, just—I forget the guy's name, and he was—he uh, was always training with him, and he was always—I remember he had—he always had a good group of young kids that, that were good fighters, and and he uh, and he, he—I remember they came from Shepherds, then we all came in, into Schulers, and into Schulers when he started become when he came to Schulers is when he started to become like a really, really good amateur. You know what I mean? Like he started to really do well in amateur fights. I don't know about his. You know, his, his national experience as much because, I mean, we didn't really, you know, pay that much attention because we were too busy with our own things. We didn't really go. But I just know he was a really, really good amateur. You know, he did well in the gym, trained hard. You know what I mean? But, you know, he's a kid, so he was around playing. Uh, it was not so a little after that, he really, I, I really started to see him get serious once he got with this other guy, Hamza. He started really focusing on his craft. And, you know, he started to obviously get a little older. You're a kid. You're just in the gym a lot of times because your friends are. Not not just because your friends are, but you're in there with your friends. You're having fun. You're training. You know, you're sparring. You're doing those things, but you're not as serious as you need to be. It's not when you start seeing your your your, your school coming to an end. And things start to get real. You start thinking about what you got to do as far as hey, am I going to get a job or am I going to be a full time fighter? And you can see that he made that decision and really started to pick it up, pick up the pace. And when he turned pro, progressively got better, got better, got better. And and you know, look at him now, heavy, uh, heavyweight, <laughs> uh, junior, uh, junior featherweight champ of the world, and the only one from Philly. So it's a good situation. I mean, the way he looked, and normally his style is mid to long range boxing, moving, you know, sharp. But with his talent and all around game that he has, capabilities of doing inside fighting, and he proved that he beat this guy at his own game. I got to give a lot of credit to this kid. And I just hope that he continues to get better and uh, he continues to win, you know, and all the way through. Hopefully he can, he said he wants to unify. So, you know, that's a breath of fresh air. A lot of young guys, uh, you know, aren't really talking about those things and trying to make as much money as they can. And that shows the love for the game and, you know, his, his respect. I want to see him do well and continue to ascend to the top. Yeah, well said, Eddie. Very impressive from Fulton. Hopefully we can get him on the show at some point. Um, but yeah, that's it for the review part. Just one event there to mention. Moving on now to the news part of the show. Uh, one fight that got announced on Friday last week. Um, Sarissa Ketsuo Rungvasai, also known as... Um, I always forget his other name now. Um, oh, gosh. What's his other name, man? Rungvasai. Uh, anyway, forget it. Um, anyway, he's back. He, he's a guy, I've said it before, He, he you know, he stopped... Chocolatito uh, some some years back. I think back-to-back he, he stopped him. And, um, yeah, he loves to... I've said it before, it's been a bit of a running joke. He he loves to, to eat um, rodents back back home in Thailand. Oh. But anyway, he is back in the ring. 49-5 and five with a draw, 42 KOs. Uh, he gets in there with a guy who... And forgive me, I... Um, 
not too familiar with this guy. The guy's name is Kwantai Sifmoseng, a.k.a. Egawit Songnui. So, um, oh, okay. That's, uh, he could be good. His <laughs> record's 50 and 7 with a draw, but, um, Mm. Apologies, because I'm 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 a little bit behind uh, on the knowledge at those lower weights. Uh, Martin Bacoli has signed an advisory deal with MTK Global. Um, interesting stuff for him. He's still a good fighter, man. There's a lot of good fights for him there at heavyweight. Uh, the female fight has been announced. The rematch: Jessica McCaskill, the inspirational, um, you know, undisputed welterweight world champion. We had her on the show. She is such a you know, such a positive person, such a amazing person, such an amazing inspiration. She has the immediate rematch with Cecilia Brackhouse, that one to take place on March 13th on the undercard of Estrada and Chocolatito. Um, yeah, that's on zone. Um, what else do we have? We have a brilliant, brilliant domestic fight over here in the UK. It's going to be on the undercard of Pavekin White. Two, we get to see the undefeated Chris Congo defend his WBO global welterweight title. We don't care about that. But the man he gets in the ring with, Michael McKinson. He's been on the show before. Friend of the show, Michael McKinson. He's been crying out for a big fight for a long, long time. I am so excited for that one. That's going to be amazing there. Also, we have the little Mexican destroyer, Julio Cesar Martinez. He defends his WBC flyweight world title against his mandatory challenger, McWilliams Arroyo. That's going to be taking place on the Canelo Yildirim undercard on February 27th. And finally, the final piece of news to mention. If anything else develops from now till the end of the show, I'll speak about it at the very end. But this is the final piece of news for now. Virgil Ortiz Jr., the man with the 100% knockout ratio, he steps up, um, and it is a big step up. March 20th is the date on the zone. He takes on former 140 world champion Maurice Mighty Mo Hooker. That's going to be a brilliant fight there at 147. Uh, that's it, though, for the news. Moving on now to the preview part, and I can't believe I'm saying this. This one takes place at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida, USA. You know who's promoting this card, Eddie, I'm sure? Hollywood, Florida? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm guessing. I don't want to say it. <laughs> I don't want to say it. Be wrong. This is what always happens Go on. when we do the other. Go on, man. No, no, no. I'm not guessing. It's only you, Joe. Right. I'm listening. All right, okay. <laughs> so he's back. He's back promoting a card in Florida. It is, of course, the man who promoted the man we'll be speaking to soon. Don King Promotions back. Oh, my he's God. He's back. Don King Productions. <laughs> uh, this will be Friday the 29th, so tomorrow. Um, originally, this is crazy. Originally, Manuel Char was supposed to be defending his WBA heavyweight world title. 31-4 and four is Manuel Char these days. He was supposed to be taking on the undefeated Trevor Bryan. However, Freza Quendo decided to start coming with, with uh, threatening legal uh, action and lawsuits and the rest of it. And something happened. I'm not quite sure what it was. But when Freza Quendo found out that this event was, was supposedly taking place, he went ballistic and I think, you know, I think he's managed to win or something because, yeah, now the the card has had a bit of a change. Manuel Char isn't on the card and he's not defending his 
his uh, his title. So a man from the undercard has stepped up to the main event to take on Trevor Bryan um, over 12 rounds in a non-title bout. And that man is the former WBC heavyweight world champion, Bermain Stavern, 25-4 and four oh. with a draw, gets in against Trevor Bryan. Uh, all the best there to Bermain Stavern. He is a friend of the show. We spoke to him during uh, during the pandemic. Um, yeah, not much really going on on that undercard. And the final card, in fact, no, not the final card. I think there's a card taking place in Australia. Let me just double check that. Yes, there is. Uh, this one takes place in Australia. Friend of the show. It's it's happening at the Entertainment Centre in New South Wales. Former IBF, I want to say featherweight world champion, I think he was. Yeah. Uh, Billy Dibb, 46 and 6. He gets in there with... Is this is this right? He gets in there with a debutant. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, okay. What? Yeah, that is bizarre matchmaking down under. Uh, yeah, he gets in there with a guy called Joey Balam, who apparently is a pro kickboxer. Okay. Oh, I see why. Okay, okay, now it makes a bit of... Well, not much sense, but a bit of sense. All the best to Billy Dibb, friend of the show. Very, very, very good guy. Um, I really like Billy Dibb. Got a lot of time for him. And the final card to mention, it takes place at the Shrine Exposition Center in Los Angeles, California. Um, it's a fight that I am I'm quite looking forward to, to be honest with you. It is... Um, Caleb versus Caleb. Caleb Plant, 20-0, defending his IBF World Super Middleweight title against former holder of the same belt, Caleb Truax, 31-4 with two draws. Um, all the best to both men there. Caleb Plant has been on the show in the past once or twice, and Caleb Truax has been on quite a few times, to be honest. So, um, And he was on a couple of weeks ago as well, so... Best of luck to both guys there, man. May the best man win. And there is a couple of fights on the undercard that I should mention while we're here. Um, Rancis Barthelemy, 27-1 with a draw, takes on Ali Rivera over 10 rounds. Rivera now 21-4. and And this one as well, a heavyweight clash between two undefeated prospects. Michael Polite Coffee, 11-0 in a 10-rounder against Damani Rock, 17-0. Um, did you want to have a say on that, Eddie? Because I noticed that uh, someone oh, on your Twitter posted saying it's going to be a good fight. I don't know if it was you. Well, yeah, you know, it's because Damani, I know uh, Damani Rock. He's talented, really, really talented heavyweight. But a lot has gone on in his life. Who knows what's going on? I haven't really heard much from him. Really was, you know, pretty cool. His dad and, you know, sparred with him several times. He's really talented and big, too. It's about 6'5 or 6'6 six, six and can box. Like a little guy, so I expected, you know, I expect big things from him. I actually thought he was going to make the Olympic team, but it just didn't happen. You know, some obviously some things happened with him. That's why he turned pro. Um, but he's really talented. He can box, punch pretty good. He's got a good future if he can, obviously, leave the streets alone and, and get really, really serious and be a full-time fighter. Like, well, obviously, he's a full-time fighter, seventeen and no. But really focus and stay out the stay out the craziness out there. He'll he should be fine. But I mean, look, talent is a common thing. People waste it every day. So you know, if he doesn't if he doesn't materialize, it's not that it would be a surprise. I would just it would be a sad thing though. It'd be a very very uh, tragic situation into his uh, to a promising career. 
Yeah, we shall see. Both men colliding, both men six foot five, and they have those um, those undefeated records intact. Most of the time, they get the KO win. Um, it always adv- adds value to 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 any undercard. When you see two undefeated heavyweight prospects, you know that you can't blink because someone could go that quickly. It always adds value. It doesn't even matter if the guys have big names or they're well known. You just you just pay attention. Someone's going to lose for the first time, and I'm really looking forward to that. Even though I can't say I've seen much of either guy, but I'm going to definitely find a way to watch it over here. But anyway, that's it for the review part. That's it for the news. That's it for the preview part. There is no lockdown knockdown this week because the Chris Bird interview is around about one hour and fifty something minutes. So it's very very in depth. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, we're gonna we're gonna bring that in in just a few seconds. But before that, Eddie, thanks once again for sticking with me, and we will be back with the lockdown knockdown segment. Uh, if it's not next week, it'll probably be the week after, and I'm looking forward to that again when when you speak about coming over here to the UK. Yes, sir. Me too. I'm looking forward to reliving those great moments, and uh, we're just gonna get it done, man. Absolutely. Okay, that is all the talking from us. It's now time for the former two-time heavyweight world champion to make his appearance when we welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former two-time heavyweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Chris Bird. Chris, welcome to the show, my man. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you coming on, Chris. I truly do. So, Chris, with these types of interviews, I like to start uh, pretty much with um, the earliest boxing memory that you can remember. Um, how how did you get into it in the start? Obviously, the you know the, your your whole family. There's such a rich boxing history. Oh, my yeah, my earliest memory is boxing. <laughs> you know, I started boxing when I was you know five years old. My father had me in the gym had all those boys, it's five boys, three girls. So I've been in the gym since I was a little boy, always box. I wasn't that good when I was young either. I just, I was always in the gym, just with my brothers and my parents. We, we were always go to the gym. I got better a lot later. So my earliest memories are is just boxing and my father putting on, my mother and father putting on boxing shows, clinics, anything that pertained to boxing, my parents did, especially on the amateur level. They they put on shows. They did everything. So I just was raised in a rich boxing tradition. That whole era history is all boxing. Okay, okay. So that's how it was for me growing up. <laughs> okay, not like uh, not like. Not like the rest of us. Um, obviously, Chris, you box as an amateur. Am I right in saying that you had your first amateur fight at just 10 years of age and finished up in the end having somewhere between about, well, somewhere around about 300 amateur fights in total? Yes. Yes. I started I started boxing officially at 10, but I was doing exhibitions. When, from five to ten, everywhere. Me and my brother Patrick was a sideshow, literally a sideshow at boxing shows. We would put on an exhibition and turn the place out. Everybody, everybody would just go crazy after we would just go at it. So I boxed the whole time, and then when I turned ten, when I could officially start boxing, that's when it really just tournaments every weekend. It's a boxing show or a tournament. My father would take us 
everywhere. He would drive a bunch of kids everywhere. He wanted us to just know different styles of boxing and not be complacent of being good in your just in your area. So it was just like I said, boxing. That's all I know. And of course you went to the Olympics in 1992 Making it to the Olympics is obviously the dream for all amateur boxers Um, Tell us about your experience there in 1992 in Barcelona Where of course you ended up taking home the silver It was incredible, it it was the dream Literally from the time I was 6 years old I, I met Sugar Ray Lemon when I was 6 years old Got a picture, still have the picture, me and my brothers and a few guys from my gym. <clears throat> so he has Olympic medal, this 1976, Olympic medal, swept to my father invited him to a boxing show in our hometown. So the Olympics was everything. That's all I thought about. I didn't think about pro. I didn't know what was going to happen after. I just wanted to make the Olympics. And then I finally make it. And to win a medal in something that you dream about going to, it topped it off. I mean, it was the best experience over my pro career, even winning two heavyweight titles. Winning the Silver Medal Olympics was the biggest, you know, achievement, I think, in my in my whole career, really. Wow. Cause it... Because that's what I really, I just really wanted. Sorry to cut you off, Chris. If you was going to say more, you're, you're welcome to. No, no, it's okay. I was just, just saying that was just a big achievement in my career, like one of the biggest. Yeah, because that answers my next question. Because my next question was was going to be, what was your highlight moment of the amateurs? But you've you've answered it there. Um, who would you say, Chris? Oh. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying. Oh yeah, yeah. I get excited, man. I, I'm I'm hyped. I've got energy. I feel great, and I just you know I just love talking. I, I just love talking boxing. We're gonna get along like a house on fire, my friend. Um, how how was the or who was was the best amateur uh, amateur boxer you feel like you probably ever fought in the amateurs? Man, it, it was so many. The the finals of the Olympics of Cuban, he was really good, but he was tactical, more running. I think um, <clears throat> it, it was many guys. One guy is Paul Vaden, a former world champion, and another guy is, is Sven Aki from Germany. He was really good. Like, Sven Aki is, he was a good pro, but he was a good amateur. We fought very tactical. I remember the fight, so he was really good. So I, I fought some pretty good guys in amateur. Alexander Lubziak, he was really good. I fought twice in amateur. Amateur standout. Two, I just mentioned two world champions, Paul Baton and Stanaki. Um And other guys. Joe Calzaghi said he fought me in amateur, but I never fought Joe Calzaghi. I never fought him. Oh, okay. Okay, interesting. Yeah, wait. That's interesting. Yeah, he never fought me. But getting on to yeah. your pro career, Chris, uh, the journey began, of course, on January 28th, 1993, which is, um, what's that, 28 years in two days' time, my friend. Uh, that is crazy. Yes. You boxed Gary Smith in Flint, Michigan. Not only yourself, but your two brothers, Patrick and Tim, both made their debuts that night on the same card. You were the only brother that didn't win by knockout. Tell us what you remember about that night. <laughs> Man, I fought a guy, you know, he had a, a few fights. I, I think he had over 10 fights. <laughs> I, a six-rounder, it was lackluster. I all I was thinking was, I'm fighting two amateur fights in one fight. Six rounds, my first fight. 
because amateur is three minutes, three rounds, three minutes. This is six rounds, three minutes. I was going crazy. I'm like, oh, I was in shape, but it was it was nerve wracking because I was going six rounds. One, two, it wasn't the fight I really wanted. I didn't get signed after after the Olympics. I didn't get signed by no promotional company. Not even promoters in my own state wanted me. I won a silver medal in the Olympics and didn't get anything for it. Didn't get paid my first fight. Nobody came to the fight. I fight Gary Smith, who was probably 10 or 11 pounds smaller than me. Uh, I go a lackluster six rounds. And then afterwards, I'm thinking, well, at least I'm getting paid. And then nobody get paid. Nobody even show up to the fight. That That's how my first pro fight was. I won an Olympic silver medal. Wow. My second fight the same way. Same thing happened. So, I, and I fought at, at super middleweight at that time. I didn't cut weight or anything. So, out of depression, I was cutting grass with my brother Joe because I had nothing at the time. I, I, I said, I'm going to go to heavyweight. If they don't want me at this weight, I'm going to go to heavyweight. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any money. I didn't have nothing. No promoters. Nobody wanted me. Three months after the Olympics, I was forgotten about. Nobody talked about me, uh, nothing. So it was a struggle. And then after my first two fights, because it was the first fight was a like a promoter from Las Vegas that really came in. The promotion went horrific. No, like I said, nobody got paid. Nobody came to the fight. Second fight I had, and three months later, we we hooked up with a, a guy that was just helping us out with. Um, with training, like lifting weights and stuff at a gold gym. He said, I can put a show on for you. Same thing happened. Nobody get paid. Nobody show up. So I had two fights where I didn't get paid. Nobody showed up. I have no contract with nobody. I'm just sitting there with nothing. So my brother, I was helping him cut grass in the summer. So I'm cutting grass with him, and this thought came across me. Ma'am, go to heavyweight. Shock the world. Nobody wants you at this weight. Go to heavyweight. I didn't even know how I was going to fight. So I started borrowing money, drinking protein shakes, not knowing what I was doing, started adding weight, getting fat. My first – my it, this story is unreal, what my brother did. My brother was passing out flyers. He was begging for money. That's what he wanted. He asked me to go out with him. I made some flyers. Let's ask some of these businesses for money. And I asked him, what's the money for? <laughs> I mean, what, just, just so we can live? And I was too embarrassed to go with him. So I, I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to go. He went out, passing out flyers, asking for money, ran across a guy that owned a laminating business. He said, I don't have much money, but I have a venue. He had a little 250-seat nightclub. That was the venue. My father, he put on shows, so him and David Sage was the, the man that saved our life. He was the promoter. He owned a lemonade business. He knew nothing about boxing. He hooked up with my father, and we put on our first show in the nightclub probably three months after they hooked up. Wow. That's Knockout promotion is, is in effect. I'm fighting at a nightclub, making $600. Now I'm fighting at heavyweight. Scared to death. I'm a, I'm scared. I'm like, I never fought this weight class before. I'm going crazy. But you got to do what you got to do. I had nothing. 
so I stayed at heavyweight. So I kept fighting there. I should be fighting at middleweight, but I'm fighting at heavyweight. And then the era changed. Everybody's getting bigger. Klitschko era come. I'm the little guy fighting all the big guys now. That is incredible. So I stayed there, and I won two world titles. I never wanted to fight at heavyweight. I just didn't get signed after the Olympics, so I had this crazy idea. I'm going to heavyweight. So now I'm coming back now to get what's really mine. <laughs> when I was fighting at heavyweight, all I all I watched was middleweight. I watched Roy Jones do his thing. I watched James Tony. I watched Bernard Hopkins. I watched all these guys winning all these world titles where I should have been winning the world title. Same thing, but I didn't get signed. And they're lucky I wasn't in the mix with them because I'm telling you right now, not one of them beat me. They won't beat me. Okay. I'm the best. We'll... And I'm coming back now to claim that I'm the best. So that's that's how I see it. We will get to that in, 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 in due time, Chris, uh, the comeback, of course. That's it. Um, Let's get it. I want to jump forward now. We again, we were we were at your pro debut there. Your decision to move to heavyweight, which um, yeah. which was a bizarre one, and it was crazy. There's a brilliant backstory which I appreciate you sharing. If we jump forward now to May twenty third, nineteen ninety five, uh, you boxed in Michigan. Uh, at the time, you're ten and zero. You take a step up fight against former world title challenger Arthur Williams. Uh, tell us about that night. Ooh. That was uh, that was a crazy one. You're Ooh. down in the first. You managed to win a split decision over ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm fight. I'm, this is my eleventh fight. Arthur Williams basically just lost his cruiserweight title, and this is so called a heavyweight. And I'm not really. A cruiserweight or a heavyweight. I was so, oh my goodness! In that fight, I'm thinking, "What the heck are you doing, Chris? This is out of your range. You're fighting guys that you would never even spar with, never." And now I'm fighting Arthur Williams, a former world champion, in my 11th fight. That was tough. I mean, I went a tough route from that fight all the way through. I started fighting guys that just lost the world title or was formerly rated in the top 10. You know, you fight guys like that. And Arthur Williams was, he was very smart, crafty, and he could punch. Like, he has a great right hand. And in that first round, I felt it. And it's funny, I still remember what happened when I got knocked down at the end of the first round. I went to the corner. When I sat in the corner, I thought a train was going by. I kept thinking, I kept hearing a train go by. It was Man, I got hit so hard, I kept looking right by me in the corner like a train kept going. I think he hit me that hard that I felt like I'm at a train station. <laughs> it, it was a tough fight, man. It was tough. All the way down to the wire, I went a split decision, and that propelled me in the mind to say, man, you can hang with these big guys. And he wasn't even a big guy, but you can hang at this level, at least at this level. And then the guys start getting bigger and bigger. I mean, it's the heavyweight division. Absolutely. And again, if we jump forward now to August 6th of 1996, you boxed in Flint, Michigan against former two-time world title challenger uh, Uriah Grant. He, of course, went on um, a year later after losing to you. He went on to win a cruiserweight world title. In your fight with him, you completely shut him out over 10 rounds. At that time... 
Um, that's probably your most impressive win at that time. Um, what do you remember of that night there? Brilliant, brilliant clinic performance. Yeah, but man, my goodness, was he strong. Goodness, he could punch. He weighed 199 pounds. He punched so hard. Yeah, I think he was 24 and 11 with 23 knockouts. He could punch, and he just stayed on me the whole fight. I had to slip off the ropes, making Miz do all kinds of stuff. He was just a former cruiserweight champion at that time, and then he wins a cruiserweight title again. The experience from all these fights, it propelled me. When I won a world title, I was ready for everybody because I knew it would be really hard. And a lot of these guys were strong and very tactical. And if So you learn from every experience and just try to win. And again, if we jump ahead again to when you're 25 and 0, July 14th, 1998, in Mississippi, you took on Ross Purity. Now, Purity was a guy yeah. who, if he was on his A game, he was a problem for pretty much everyone. You managed again to completely yeah. shut him out over 10 rounds. Only, only um, five months later, he'd go on to shock the world and knock out Vladimir Klitschko. Tell me about the night, though, that you remember, uh, you know, sharing the ring with Ross the Boss. Ross, oh, man, former football player at UTEP, big guy. I mean, a huge guy. And everybody expected me to dominate him. He's huge. And I'm not stupid. I I see the guys he fought. Like, he dropped, knocked down Tommy Morrison twice and fought him to a draw. I know what kind of power he has. He stopped Vladimir Klitschko also, so he has power, and he could take punches also. I'm not a big puncher. My thing was just box, make him think the whole the whole time. Keep him off balance the whole fight. Use use all my boxing skills to keep you off balance so he don't get into a mode where he just rushed me all the time and pinned me on the ropes, which he didn't. A lot, a lot of that fight, I was walking him down because of my style. Then he'd start rushing me, and I'm like, oh, okay, here comes a football player. But in those type of fights, I have a lot of fun because really Ross Purity, I mean, I understand boxing. He's a football player. He started boxing late. He's a big, strong guy. He's heavyweight. Anything can happen. But I've been boxing since I was little. I don't let guys like that beat me and, like, overpower me. I'm very smart and tactical in what I do. it, And I understand, you know, what happens. So, at that time, I wasn't taking any chances. It was my last USA Tuesday night fight fight that I fought. So I was on my way to fight on HBO. So I had to, I had to win the fight, try to do it impressively. But against a guy like that, you can't – me, myself, I couldn't be impressive trying to get in there and, and knock him out. I weighed like 211 pounds. He weighed 247. All muscle. I wasn't trying to. I just wanted to outboxing. I think the, the the announcers kind of criticized me a little bit, wanted me to step it up, but I wasn't taking any chances. He's too strong. Yeah. I just wasn't. No, that was a brilliant, a brilliant win again. And that would be as far as your unbeaten run would go, though. March 20th, 1999, you taste defeat for the first time as a pro. Your new record would be 26-1. and one. Tell us about the night you boxed Ike Ibiabuchi. I must say, I still think the stoppage was a little bit strange. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was last second, but 
you know, when, when you're in the in the midst, like the referee, I look at the referee. When you're in the in the heat of something, and he's looking at a fight where, look how big Ike, look how small I was, and when I when I got knocked down, I fell on my face. I got up, and I know the referee was thinking, okay, man, I, I think I'm gonna stop the fight, but I'm gonna give him a chance. So he gave me a chance, and and that happened. It, it that fight was. Just, uh, just, it was difficult all the way around. I, I um, prior to that fight, it just, I had a major separated rib. I never told anybody. I told my family knew, but, and my lawyer, Don Hornerworth, he knew, but nobody else knew. Like, I, I, I would never say anything. I'll fight. I'll fight regardless. And at that time, nobody... None of the top young heavyweights wanted to fight me. None of the heavy heavyweights, like those world champions, nobody wanted to fight me. I couldn't get any fights. Ike finally agreed to fight me. So I was so excited. I'm going crazy. Training was good. Fifteen days before the fight, my brother Joe cracked my rib on my on my left side and from then on I couldn't do anything. I, I didn't want any shots with any kind of steroids in it or anything because they would say, if if I did test positive, see, he was on drugs. I never took drugs a day in my life. And before that fight, before a fight, I, I, have, I have no excuses. None. This is not an excuse. It's just it's, I'm real. This is what happened. But it did throw me off. I was, man, I'm fighting Ike Bayabuchi with a, a, a separated rib. He weighed 244 pounds all muscle. I, the thought was, man, if I get hit in the rib, oh, he's going to kill me. So I had, I did have um, something else on my mind. You know, of course that's going to be on your mind the whole fight. But, you know, I still was doing my thing. I just got caught with a punch. You know, I just got caught, and it's heavyweight boxing. I was devastated after the fight, though. Uh, I got to tell you that. I was devastated yeah but i had to give it back mm-hmm. and chris how good so. do you think ike really could have been if he wasn't such a crazy character outside of the ring man um who knows hmm. I, I always say uh when the Klitschko era came you gotta go through vladimir vitale i mean it is just how it is and will he will he be able to break down vladimir vitale and Vitaly also, we don't know. You know, all these big guys came in, a lot of big heavyweights. In the 90s was heavyweight. They used to have um, heavyweight explosion, all heavyweight shows everywhere, especially with Cedric Kushner. And, you know, who knows? He beat David Tua. He beat me. But, you know, I, I think he probably would have, I, I wouldn't say dominant, because there was a lot of good guys as that just in the 90s, all these big guys coming up, I think he would have had his place as a heavyweight, but who knows? 
No, that's fair. That's fair. That's, that's a fair assessment. Obviously, after that loss to Ibi Abuchi, you come back. You closed out 1999 with three knockout wins. Those wins came against John Sargent, Jose Ribauta, and Val Smith. You also grabbed another knockout win in early 2000 over David Washington. That's when we arrive at April the 1st, 2000. You had to travel to Germany. You box Vitaly Klitschko for his WBO heavyweight world title. You win the fight when Vitaly retires on his stall in the in the corner after of course being um, ahead almost by a shutout on all three judges scorecards Vitali. tell me all about that night from your perspective chris because another thing that some people forget you had 10 days notice for that fight man that's crazy yeah 10 days notice and in a fight i i give you know Vitaly Klitschko a lot of credit just for taking he took me on 10 days notice guys didn't want to fight me my style was difficult but they just signed Vitaly Klitschko to, with HBO. So the commentating and everything, of course, uh, Klitschko, I'm losing every fight. But if you were in the building that night, you wouldn't think that. It was totally different. Totally different. Comment, the commentating make you think one way. But if you're in the building that night, everybody knew this may be an upset. How would they know it would be an upset if I'm not in the fight, if I'm getting blown out? Everybody knew it. The energy was crazy. And when he quit after the fourth round, they were cheering my name, Chris Berg, Keith Berg, going crazy. It was it was amazing. And of, so sorry, Chris, the sorry. end of the ninth round, I finished really strong, really strong. I'm coming on. Who quit? If I think I'm winning, I don't care if I got broke legs. I'm not quitting. I fought shoulder injury, broke nose first. First round, got my nose broke by Levi Phillips. I ain't quit because I knew I'll be losing something, my undefeated record. Why would you quit? Really? Danny Williams fought one arm. One arm. The will to win. So I I looked at that fight. Yes, I may have been losing on the so-called scorecards or whatever. But I was in the fight. The biggest question is to ask is, how did I get to the 10th round? He was 27 and over 27 knockouts, and he's fighting the smallest heavyweight in the heavyweight division. Mm. And to criticize me for him throwing his shoulder out, I get criticized. I'm like, well, what? Well, you know you were losing. He was beating you as this, and, and he throws his shoulder out. But how? I, I don't get no credit for my defense? Hmm. We don't. I don't. Nobody. Ne- you never see a stat of, well, I made a miss 19 times in a row. Where's the stat for that? So that's how that went. I was so excited. If you really know about that fight of how did I get to the 10th round, why would you quit with a shoulder injury when you're a champion, when you're winning? Really? This is boxing. I've been boxing when I was a kid. You don't do that. That's a no-no. You win and you fight to the end. That's how, I was, that's how I was raised. Look at my fight with his brother. Same way. First fight, he beat the hell out of me. I didn't quit. I went 12 rounds. I could have quit. Hmm. Two times my father could have stopped that fight. So that's how I look at boxing in, in that situation. I'm not saying, you know, he... There's a coward, he quit, he did this. But for me, 
If I'm champion, I'm not quitting. I'm not. Yeah, I think it. I, I think it. it speaks for itself when you said that you went into that fight with Ike with the uh, the rib injury. Um, you know that was yeah. yeah. That speaks for itself. It doesn't obviously matter how you win, just that you win. Um, and and you won that fight. You became champion. Um, people obviously started criticizing Vitali as well, saying he had no heart, etc. Um, yeah, Chris, how did you kind of feel? Obviously, there's better ways to win a world title. I think it's fair to say, if you knock someone out in the first round, it looks amazing. To win a world title in that way, did you feel? Um, you know, did you still ha- get to have that moment where you felt amazing, where you felt like this is the best day on earth for you? No, not at all. That's sad. Not at all, because you you you're world champion, but it's got an asterisk next to it. You, you and you're getting criticized for somebody quitting mm-hmm. and they were winning and now you're a champion. So I felt, honestly, I didn't feel like a champion. I, I felt like that was like a bad moment in my life to win like that. Then you have to walk around as champion, but everybody look at you like, you're really not champion. Like you didn't win this. He, he quit because of an injury. So it was, it was rough because I had to go back to Germany to fight Vladimir Klitschko and not feeling like a champion. Not at all. I mean, it was, it, I felt like I was going back so they can get their revenge because if he would have beat me, would he have fought his brother next? He was mandatory to me. How did that happen? So felt very disrespected. I, I, I'm world champion, but I feel like I'm on the B side. So... You know, you got to go do what you got to do. I didn't want to fight Vladimir right, right then. I wanted to have an easier fight. Then I'll fight Vladimir. Maybe a couple of fights down the road when I get a couple of fights, but they wanted that title back, and they got it. I had no control, nothing. I had no say-so. Vladimir fought two times, two times while I sat. He had two. He fought twice, and he had an exhibition four weeks before our fight. And they told me I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. But he had an exhibition in front of a crowd, everything, like it was a show. Wow, okay. I didn't know that. And I'm, yeah, he had a, a major exhibition before that. They made sure he wouldn't lose. Cause, because if Vladimir would have lost at that time, you would have never heard of the Klitschko brothers. Okay. They would have been done. The smallest guy in the division beat both giants? How'd that look? How you gonna promote that? <laughs> yeah, they'd have the, the promoters would have their work cut out if that if that did happen. Um, yeah, you, you say you're right in what you say, Chris, when you say there was this asterisk attached, undeserving, perhaps lucky people would label you as. And you touched on it there. Six months later, you you, you had to travel once again back to Germany, like the B side. And, you know, you boxed Vladimir. Obviously, you were down in the ninth. You were down in the 11th. You bravely got back up. You you got, you know, you got to hear the final bell. I know you touched on it briefly, but just tell us about that first fight with Vladimir, who obviously has a, a very different style to Vitaly, despite a lot of people thinking that they're, you know, the mirror image of each other. Yeah, it, it's a different style. He, he punches, to me, he punches much harder than his brother. And and just smarter, he's stronger, more upright. So he's just, for me, he's harder to fight. To other people, he may be easier. To me, Vitaly wasn't as hard. Vladimir was just strong as heck, great strategy, 
use his size and reach to his advantage, which is smart. It's hard to get to him. And, you know, it's more power to him, man. He he did his thing in the ring. I mean, he really shut me down in certain in certain ways because of that power. I had to respect his power big time because I was walking into it. I'm like, man, he hit so hard. This is not like his brother. He hit a lot harder. So I, I give him credit for for just being champion for so long and being dominant and being so smart in the ring and knowing how to fight me. A lot of guys don't want to fight me and don't want to fight me and don't want to get in front of me. And, and when they do get in front of me, they're like, man, I don't know what to do. It's hard. But Vladimir stayed patient, boxed very well, making me come to him and, and just truly using all of his advantages to his advantage, which is smart. He's supposed to do it. I weighed like 211. He's 239, 240. Small, actually pretty small for him. But he used his size, his height. He's much taller. He used his reach, his power. I mean, he's gifted with all this stuff, all these advantages. Use it. And he learned how to use it against me. Like I fought guys six, you know, much taller, six, 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 seven. You know, guys a lot taller or a lot bigger. But they didn't know how to use their height and reach to their advantage. I would I would outbox them. How how would a smaller guy outbox the taller guy? Like I'll, I'll trick them, I'll jab them, do other stuff. Where with Vladimir, that didn't happen. His jab was on point. My jab rarely landed. Couldn't land my left hand. He shut me down. Just did smart things in the ring, and he defeated me pretty easy the first fight. I tried. I tried for 12 rounds, but it just wasn't enough. But tell me, Chris, obviously you you went to Germany twice back then, back-to-back. Obviously the home crowd would have been there in support of the the Klitschko's. But what did you make of just the experience traveling to Germany, a place obviously in Europe where the fans over there love their boxing? I'm sure even though they perhaps didn't want you to win the fight, you surely must have got respect from the German fight fans. Oh, my goodness. Loved it. Loved every second of it. I do. Man, the Germans stand up. They, they love boxing. And they love true boxing. I mean, it, it, they kind of t- well, Vladimir Vitaly is not really from Germany. So they're from Ukraine. They're adopted. They kind of turned on their man when I fought them in the fight, yelling my name. But when I came back, they were really for their guy. Like, they wanted, they had a major push for him to win. And they just it, it the whole production was top notch. From the moment I landed in Germany, treated me like you know, like they treated me good. Even though I felt like I'm on the B side, the people treated me good in Germany. Oh, that's great. Man. And, and then had a, a a few fans there that really appreciated. You wouldn't hear them because they're getting they're getting um, crowded out. Big time, shouted out to so many fans, but I had my few fans there. It wasn't bad, you know. I, I re- they really, even the the fans that wasn't for me, they still appreciate me afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it was just a great time. I really appreciate them. And you returned to the ring. F- that. Sorry, Chris. What was that? 
No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm done talking. <laughs> no, I said you returned to the ring only three months later. Obviously, you put together a f- uh, you know four wins back to back, which included a points win over Maurice Harris and a points win over David mm-hmm. Tua. It was during that time, I believe, that you signed with Dong King. Um, <laughs> what was that like, Chris? I know uh, we had your cousin Layman on a couple of months back, and he had some. Uh, some interesting uh, stories about the man himself, Don King. <laughs> yeah, it was... When I signed with Don King, honestly, I felt like a slave getting traded to another slave master. Wow. That's how I felt. I was with Cedric Kushner. He sold me to Don King right in front of me. Don King bought me, bought me, literally bought me. Now, now I'm with Don King. And then, you know, stuff just started going downhill from there. You get to a point in your life where you think, okay, I, you reach something and things will be a lot better. You're like, hmm, this is going to be, this may be pretty good. And then it, do, it doesn't happen, not even near close in your mind to how it's supposed to, how you thought it would go. It's tough. I mean, to run somebody down is, is uh, you know, to talk about them really bad is, you know, just is is bad energy. But it was bad. You know, it was just not a fun time. Not at all. It was at the end of my career, basically, and and it was a ruin, uh, just a trash time. I wish I wish I could get it back, but you can't. Okay, okay, that's interesting because this brings us into December 14th, 2002 in Atlantic City uh, you box for the vacant IBF heavyweight world title against none other than Evander Holyfield um, your cousin Lehman was on the undercard that night as well tell me about the night you become a two-time heavyweight world champion against a legend like Evander, Chris and you know, you finally, I think in the eyes of the boxing fans at least got the respect that you had been due for, for a long time. Yeah, it was, it was, um, I mean, it was just a, just a, wow. It was a wild moment. Another one because of where I came from. When, when I won with Vitaly Klitschko, soon, as soon as they said he, he quit, the first thing I thought about was the nightclub. That was the first thing I thought about. I came from a nightclub, and now I'm world champion. Same thing with Evander Holyfield. I'm in the ring with a legend. This is what I was thinking. And then afterwards, I came from a nightclub. A nightclub. How bad do you want it? Man, I was so excited. When I came to the heavyweight division, I wanted to fight three guys. Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Lennox Lewis. That's the big three to me. I thought there's no, there's nothing bigger. If I can get a hold of those three in my lifetime, oh, at a heavyweight, at a weight where I, where I'm not supposed to be in, and I get to fight these legends, uh, I got a chance to fight Evander Holyfield. Lennox Lewis gave up the belt. He gave up the belt. If you really know boxing. He, gave, he know why he gave up the bill, because at that time, I was on fire. He don't fight lefties that good. I wasn't going to respect him at that time. I was the man. I felt like I, was, I could beat everybody. 
and then I signed with Don King, and then the letdown, let the letdown begin. Oh, my goodness. Then you have a great fight, and then all of a sudden, all this stuff starts happening. So, but to, but to answer the question, the fight of Vander Holyfield was a dream. A Vander Holyfield in my lifetime. A Vander Holyfield. Wow. That, that was special for a heavyweight title also, to fight a great. I, I, like you said, I think in the eyes of the boxer fans, I redeemed myself from the Ike loss to the Vladimir loss. Now, finally, I beat David Tua. Now, finally, to beat Evander, I made it. So, it, it was a great feeling. I mean, it was just a great feeling. But like I said, the the stuff started happening after that that diminished that feeling I had that night. It diminished it big time. So, yeah, I was happy, though. It was great. Was that the happiest night of your pro career? Um, now, actually, honestly, the, um, I fought a guy named Waxham Fight. Man, that's one of the happiest because I beat him that propelled me into another level in, in heavyweight boxing and when I beat um, Maurice Harris and David Tua because at the time I fought Maurice Harris, nobody wanted to fight him. He called me out and we fought, I fought him before I fought David Tua and he was the one that among all the boxers in the heavyweight division, you don't mess with him. He's the one that nobody want to fight. You don't mess with him. You don't want to mess with me. Now we're fighting each other. It was a big one among boxers, among the heavyweight boxers. It was like, ooh, you're two guys. Nobody want to fight, fighting each other. Uh-oh. And I beat him. And when I beat him, ask Layman Bruce. Layman, like, wow, you beat Maurice Harris at that time. You, that's, doing, that's saying something. And then I come back and beat David Tua, which people thought I was get knocked out. And that was those two fights back-to-back proud one of the happiest moments of my boxing career, honestly. Of course, like winning the world titles, but to to get to the world title, especially to get to the world title a second time and go through those two guys, man, that's nothing better, man. I, I'm telling you, it, that's just a great feeling. Yeah. Great feeling. No one could deny oh, you at that yeah. point. No one could deny you at that point. It was very... Very impressive. Um, your first defense of the of the IBF heavyweight title was against Fraser Quendo. You beat him unanimously over 12. Saturday, September 20th of 2003 in Connecticut. Uh, what do you recall of that evening there? So, what I recall. So, I, I um, on, on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I post a lot of my, a lot of videos on my fight. And I break down the fight. And before that fight, I, I, I said it on um, social media, before I fought Fraser Kendo, another thing, just like a rib injury, I was banned from boxing. They said I had a, a stroke. I got a spot on my brain. I didn't know. I, didn't, I was banned from boxing up until the Thursday before I fought on Saturday. I didn't know if I was fighting. So I went to Connecticut not knowing if I was going to fight. Matter of fact, I was banned, so I wasn't going to fight. I was already banned with a brain. I had a brain problem. So I'm 
the whole time. And then Thursday, the Monday, I, the Monday fight week, that Monday, I get the brain scan. That Thursday is the result. So I had to wait until Thursday, scared to death. I didn't know if I was fighting. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I'm like, oh, I'm banned. I'm freaking out. I just win the heavyweight title, and now I'm banned. I never fight again. So I'm going crazy. And then I take this test when I get a brain test when I get to Connecticut. I'm freaking out. Oh, what's what's the outcome? What's the result going to be? Come back Thursday, I have a birthmark on my brain. A birthmark. The top doctor in boxing, he he was in Connecticut, and he said I got a birthmark. Now I can fight. I'm like, oh, now I, my brother said, you know, you still got to fight. I forgot I had to fight because I thought I wasn't gonna fight. And then I got to fight two days later. I got to fight President Kendall. And see, the boxers know Fred, but the the general public will look at Fred like, eh, he's okay. He's not a big puncher. He boxes. He moves. No, but all the heavyweight boxers look at President Kendall like, no, he can really fight. Like he can box. He can box. He's smart. He's awkward. He's so it wasn't like it was going to be an easy fight. But it seemed like that after me beating David Tua and Evander Holyfield the way I did, everybody expected me to blow everybody out. This man, 13, 14 pounds bigger. He's just as fast. He's a light heavyweight and amateur. He's really good, really good. He was just beating David Tua prior to fighting me, and he get caught in the ninth round. But he was beating David Tua easier than I was beating. But everybody expected me to beat President Kendall really easy because of my, my boxing skills. And it wasn't that easy. It just wasn't easy. Even with all the brain stuff happening, it still would have been a hard fight. Even with that, other mind, he just a, he's, a, he's a hard fight. He's difficult to fight. It's not like you fight President Kendall and you're going to win easy. No, he's going to make you look bad. And if he loses, it's a close fight. Yeah. So it was a close fight with me and him, the same thing. I give Fred all kind of credit. He's a, he's a really good fighter, really good. I mean, he could have won that fight that night. He could have went either way. So I luckily that night I got it, kept my belt. I don't look back. I don't care. If I get the decision, hey, they can say, they can say this, this, and that, but – you got to keep moving on. You can't keep looking back. You got to look forward. I just kept looking forward. Hey, you take the criticism, just like I did with the Klitschko fight. I, I learned from that because I, I was so embarrassed after the fight, and then it, it is what it is. What I make it. So I just make it like, hey, I kept my belt. I got to move on. I got to. I got to impress. I got to impress the crowd. I got to make up for it, but I got to move on. I can't just dwell on this. So. That's how I looked at that fight, and and I won, and I was happy, too, because it was close. Because I said in the ring, I said, I think I lost this fight. I may have lost, but I got it. So, you know, you move on, and and I did. That's honest of you to say. That was, uh, that was, it was a good fight. Frez, I think, probably... He's a he's an underachiever, really, when it's when it's all said and done. But moving on oh. to your second defense. Oh. Sorry, Chris. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just agreeing with you. Uh, yeah. Your second defense took place in April of 2004 at Madison Square Garden. Uh, you boxed Andrew Golotta 
Um, I remember asking Lehman. I think Lehman told me that was probably the most satisfying night of his career um, when he got him out of there in the first round. But your fight with him was very different. A split draw over 12 rounds. Tell us about that one, Chris. Okay, yeah, I love talking about this. So, <laughs> it, it, people remember when when that right before that fight, John Ruiz fought Fredrick Kendall. So I'm warming up in the in the walkway before before I, the fight, getting ready to walk out to the fight. So I see Don King, and with that fight with John Ruiz and Fresno Kendall, they were booing so bad in Madison Square Garden. I see Don King in the in the walkway when I was walking. I mean, the look on his face was like stress, like oh man, they booing. And this was a great night at the garden. And I told him, I said, I'm gonna save your show. And I know he was thinking, how are you going to save my show? You're, you know, you're not a puncher. So I said, okay, this is Madison Square Garden. I'm headlining. I got to turn it out. So I said, forget it. I'm not going to box this time. I'm not going to just sit in the middle of the ring, box, move around. We're going to go to war. I couldn't get off the rope because he was too big, but I tried to fight him back. And that's one night where they gave, us, they gave me a stand ovation. It was like, oh. It felt so good to to fight back in a fight and not just be a pure boxer, but sitting there and trade a little bit. I had a black eye, fought to a draw, could have lost my belt. Not saying that Andrew, Andrew is Olympic bronze medalist. He's smart. And the one thing about Andrew, he was treating me like a small guy, which he didn't care. He didn't care about my power. He didn't care about nothing. His whole thought was, I'm going to walk right through you. You're a little guy. You're not a big. Come on. You're not a big guy. I'm a, I'm a big heavyweight. You're not even a heavyweight. So he had a great game plan. Don't get frustrated. Stay in front of him, making fight, making fight, making fight, making fight. He made me fight for 12 rounds. Right there, right in front of me. Used his size, his height, his, his reach, everything. He would just use his smarts that night. I mean, it was difficult. Because I was looking at his right hand the whole fight. I'm like, I'm not getting caught by that. He's not going to knock me out. Because I'm open for it as a lefty. And he's open for my left a lot, but it wasn't hurting me. So Andrew was just just round after round. I'm trying to do all my tricks, make him miss, do all this stuff. He stayed steady the whole time. He never broke. And I was waiting for him to break because I know he's going to get frustrated. I know he's going to do something because I know how mental, mentally he is in certain fights. He kept it together the whole fight. I was, I'm thinking, man, oh, so this fight you're going to do it. And he gave me hell for 12 rounds. But the people loved it. That's one thing. At the Garden, after they booed that fight, they gave us a standing ovation. It was it was pretty impressive. I loved it. But I, I said I'd never fight like that again because I got hit with more shots than I needed to. Yeah. yeah no, but it, it was, was a, fun. It was a great fight. And, um, yeah, you know, you, you obviously liked it at the Garden. You were back there in your next one. Uh, your third title defense came November 13th, 2004, this time against former world heavyweight title challenger Jamil Big Time McCline. Again, you had to get off the floor in the second round. You go, you go on though to win a split decision after twelve. So this really, when you think about it, this is 
you know, a close one with McLean, a close one with Galotta, a close one with, with Frez. It's a period yeah. of, you went on a bit of a strange kind of run, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it, so the run is this, it, it, it's, it's twofold, I would say. So I'm going through it with, with my promoter, big time, getting cut, every fight, money, money, money. But, with Don King, really? The biggest thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, it was just it, it was it was a it was a bad time. But but one thing that 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 people it just is is sports in itself. But I I just look at boxing for for now. I'm champion, so I win the world title. If I, I beat the greater Evander Holyfield, so I set a goal for myself and I accomplished it. But you got life still goes on. So now I got to defend these titles. I, I felt like I was in a situation where I was the king, where oh I did what I needed to do. I did it. But now you got to defend your belt. So every fight you, so I fight a Vander Holyfield. You get up for a fight with a Vander Holyfield so much because it's a Vander Holyfield. Oh, I can't believe it. Then I come make a fight of Frederick Kendall, knowing how good he is, but the name value is not like I'm gonna fight Tyson, my first first um, title defense. I'm fighting these bigger names, and I'm and I'm I'm in the mix. No, I'm fighting guys that can really fight. They're hungry for the title, looking at me like I'm smaller. I weigh two fourteen against Jamil, he weigh two seventy. Why would he think? Yeah, I can beat him. I'm six six two seventy. He's a little guy. So I started thinking like I was the man, and they're thinking like, "Oh, I'm hungry. I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna get that world title." And they fought me to the end. Jamil McCline, oh, he took everything out of me. Everything. After that fight, I was done. I, I should have been done with heavyweight. I should never fought a heavyweight again. He stripped me of everything in that fight. Man. He had me on the ropes the whole fight. He had me down. I'm hurt in the third round. He busted me up. I had to come back. It was just a grueling fight all the way to the end, to the 12th, to the to the last bell. It's a it's a a little point guard, Isaiah Thomas. Now I'm just using NBA basketball in America. He's going to get Shaquille O'Neal big time. And expecting a little bitty guard to be the big center. That's how it was in the heavyweight division. And it just took a toll on me after fight, after fight, you fight these big guys, you're getting beat down, and then your performances started just falling off big time. And it, and it was with me in that case. And Jamil, in that fight, that was it. I mean, he took everything from me. I mean, I didn't have any more really good performances after that. I, after that fight, I, I had to heal up over three months of soreness, like extreme soreness throughout the whole body. I had to rest, and it, it ruined me, I think, for the rest of my career. So, And especially at heavyweight. So that was a tough one there. Yeah, because you were you were out for almost a year. Uh, you came back and obviously defended successfully your title for the fourth time. Um, well, I should say your, your yeah your fourth title defense um, 
October 1st, yeah. 2005 in Reno, Nevada, live on Showtime against Davaral Williamson. Once again, another oh. unanimous decision over 12. What do you remember about that one, Chris? Oh, my. I was going through it so bad before that fight with my promoter. I mean, it was it was bad. They were trying, he was trying to get me stripped before the fight. I have all this stuff on my mind. Me and Devereaux are good friends. The fight was made in four weeks. Called me four weeks for the fight and said, I want you to fight in uh, Reno, Nevada. You're fighting Devereaux Williamson. I'm really, and I was a co-main event. I'm heavyweight champion, James Tony for a 10-rounder against Dominic Gwynn, and he was the main event. That's how my promoter did me. I'm the co-main event and heavyweight champion. So, in that fight, I got cut over $2 million. I wasn't making that much, but I'm making around $2.5 million, so I'm getting cut $2 million. I'm fighting a good friend. He punches hard as heck. We fired over 200 rounds together. I know I'm really good. I'm like, forget this. I'm not going out trying to make a good fight with, with DeVero, who punches real hard. Forget that. I'm just going to just get by in this fight. I don't care what the crowd says. This is my last fight with Don King. So, so it, it was, it was, it was hard. You know, you being world champion, you hoping you have the best time of your life, you win the title, and then it becomes the worst time, one of the worst times in your career. And you have to end on this note. And, it just wasn't a happy time. Who want to box under these circumstances? Every fight is something. Every fight, I hear something. Okay, you cut this much money. This is going to happen. This, and you're like, this is not fun no more. This is, it, it turns into all business now. Hmm. Everything's business. I just want to box. So, you know, I win, and then I separate from my promoter, and... That was the best thing for me. But at that time, I was done with boxing. Honestly, I, I didn't want to box anymore. It wasn't fun. Mm. If boxing not fun, why box? Yeah, that's you a know, great question. I, I, I mean, and I, I'm being very honest. This is not, like, I, I can tell you these stories. Like, I tell these stories on, on social media, and I tell people, go go look it up. Go verify it with people. I'm, I'm being very, very honest. If I had separated ribs, if I had broke nose before a fight, hey, it's, it's part of the sport. Everybody, a lot of boxers have injuries before a fight. That's why I don't bet on boxing because you never know, you know, what kind of injury you have, you know. So I just tell the truth about everything. I try to tell the truth about every single story I talk about. If I bring up my, my story of my history of boxing, Hey, this is what happened. A guy, if he beat me, he beat me. If I'm hurt in a fight, I was hurt. Now I'm telling you that I was hurt. I, I don't. I'm not that sugarcoat nothing. Stuff happened. I know how good I, I know how good I, I can be. I know how good I can be in the ring, and, and I know how good other guys were when I fought, and how if they had advantages or no advantages. If I think Vladimir is better than. Vitaly or Vitaly better than Vladimir. I'm being honest about it. I don't, hey, if he if he knocked me out, you knock me out. Who cares? It's part of the sport. If somebody knocked me out in sparring, 
don't care if he was lesser than me and he wasn't that good. People get caught all the time. I get embarrassed by nothing. Stuff happens all the time. We live one time. We live one time. I just want to live all my life really good. I, I have a lot of boxing stories. I like telling them. I still can talk, you know, pretty good. So, And I have a pretty good memory. I feel great. So I just want to share with the world, inspire, and be inspired. That's how my life is. And I just love it. I love talking about boxing like with you right now. It's, it's the best. I like going over my career. I like somebody that, that knows my career. And, and you may, may be a fan or maybe not, but at least you got me on and we get to talk about it. And I get to share my experience with the world. Absolutely. I mean, when I first made Twitter, you were one of the first people I followed on there back in the day. And um, yeah, we wow. we were. You won't remember it now, but we were we were pretty buddy buddy on uh, on Twitter. We were buddies on there for sure. We used to tweet each other quite a bit. Oh man, that's cool. That is cool. That's cool. But anyway, Chris, um, <clears throat> where were we? Sorry. Um, thanks for the. Oh, I'm sorry. It's yeah, all good. We were at the, you went off on a bit of a tangent okay. with with the lesson on philosophy, which is always welcome on this podcast. Um, yeah, so you had your four. You defended the title four times. That leads us into April two thousand and six. You you once again get on a plane. You fly to Germany. You box Vladimir. Uh, this occasion, you'd you'd get stopped in the seventh. Tell us about that night, which I doubt you look back on with great memories. I don't think you look back on that too happily. I guess. Yeah, yeah it's you know all. Honestly, all I've been through with you know with my promoters going through that and I'm finally away from him and then I get to fight Vladimir I get the rematch so I get a call to fight Vladimir Klitschko I get a call to fight Klitschko not Vladimir it was Klitschko that's what my lawyer say hey Klitschko want to fight you I thought it would be Vitaly because he was champion at the time and I'm thinking hmm he wants that rematch oh yeah let's get it and then my lawyer said no no it's Vladimir I was like, mmm, ooh, all right, you fought Vladimir. Mmm, that was tough. So I said, I would take it. I wanted to take it because I wanted to be both Klitschko brothers cleanly. I had the best camp ever, ever. Um, I was on point. I was ready to fight. I was so ready. That's one fight where I had no injuries going into the fight. I'm clean. My camp was good. I had the best camp. So... We fight. We come around fight time, and uh, I hate even talking about it. Just I, I won't bring that up. But I, I lost it going down the walkway. I, I lost it. I never stare my my opponent in his eyes when we get to the middle of the ring. If you watch that fight, I'm looking Vladimir dead in his eyes, like let's go to war because I was upset by some things in the first fight. So, and I lost my whole game plan of how I wanted to fight. And if you notice in that fight, I tried to fight him, like go to war with him. I tried to stand there and fight him instead of just being smart, using my boxing skills and box him. I lost it in that fight, and I never lose it. That's why I'm so upset with myself. I lost the whole Oh, uh, the whole way I thought, I ran down, literally, 
the walk, the catwalk when you walk to the ring. I ran down. I was so anxious to fight. Usually, I'm the, I'm I'm very calm and reserved. I usually will walk down slow, have just take my time. I ran. I was so ready to fight and got blown out. I mean, Vladimir picked me apart. The first round was okay because I was trying to rush in there and fight. And at the end of the first round, I hit with a hit with I think a right hand and it changed everything. I'm like, dang. It bugged me bad, and then from that point on, downhill. And I took a butt whooping. But I didn't quit. That's one thing. I, I, I went out on my feet. When the referee, when I went down the, the last time and, and when I pulled my head up, when he seen all the blood coming out of my face, he had to stop it. He was giving me chances in the fight, but he had to stop it. He was like, no, nah, that, that, that's enough. You you too tough for your own good. You taking a you taking a hell of a beat. And and in that fight, I mean, my, that was the only fight where my father, after the fight, he came up to me and said, "What the hell were you doing?" He got in my face. What the hell were you doing? That wasn't the game plan. He got real mad at me, and I said, "I I know I lost it." I mean, sometimes it happens, you know. And, and then usually it happens in the locker room. And this one happened to me on the walkway, walking to the fight. I was like, oh, I'm going to war. I changed my game plan. And I paid for it dearly. Because so I did have a good training camp, but, man, Vlad blew me out the second time really, really bad. I mean, it was it was no question how good he was in that fight. So, you know, it, 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 was, it was hurtful that I lost my belt. But, you know, it was part of life. I want it, and you you got to lose it sometime, and I lost it to Vladimir Klitschko. Like my son told Vladimir afterwards, he said, man, keep my dad's belt as long as you can. And that man kept it as long as he could, and he always brought my son up saying, I got to keep I gotta keep uh, Chris's belt for his son. <laughs> it's not my belt anymore. It was his, but he did honor that. So you fight Vladimir Klitschko, getting a chance to fight, both of them, when you know you're not a heavyweight, I'm not a heavyweight, and I'm fighting these giants and I'm battling in Germany. And people are expecting me to basically win in some of these fights. Uh, exciting time, man. I, I, I can't complain much about my career in that aspect. I did get to fight Vladimir Vitaly, David to uh, Evander Holyfield. I mean, Hey, in my career, and now I'm coming back a second time. I get to fight all the the new guys, so I'm excited. I was excited. It was it was it was okay being a heavyweight. It was okay. I didn't get to fight to that really like the Tyson, Lennox, Lewis, those two, but I did get a bander. At least I got one out of the big three, so I'm 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 okay with it. And there's obviously a couple of 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 remaining fights to mention before we get on to the the future the up-to-date um after that that fight with klitschko you're out of the ring for an entire year before returning uh in 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 the bahamas you came back with your 40th career win over there um just briefly chris what was that like going out there and you know reaching the big four zero in terms of your wins yeah it, it was it was really nice i mean going to bahamas and and fighting just just a trip alone it was funny because a lot of my family went, and we went a week before, so they got to 
really vacation the whole week. I'm in my room the whole week. I didn't get to do anything. <laughs> I'm in beautiful Bahamas in my room. And then I really didn't really didn't feel like Mike, you're in a nice place like that. It was after I won after I lost my world title, so I really didn't feel like fighting. I mean, do I really want to fight a heavyweight? Uh, okay, I'll fight. They, they asked me, you want to fight in the Bahamas? I'm like, sure. ESPN, of course. And I and I fight, and I think I, I won. They stopped in the seventh round. You know, it was okay. You know, getting back in the ring is, is always fun. To me, it's just fun. A great vacation for my family. My kids were younger then, so they got to experience the Bahamas. It was okay. Getting back in the ring, it was all right. And six months after that, that's when you travel to Germany again, this time to fight the Olympic gold medalist and undefeated professional Alexander Povetkin. Um, on this occasion, obviously, as you say, you know, you're know you past the better days at this point, at heavyweight at least. Uh, you know, things were on the come down, and yeah, you're stopped in the 11th round. Tell us about that, that night there, returning back to Germany. So, uh, honestly, I mean, I'm being very honest. Eight days before I fight Pavet, when I looked at Alexander Pavetkin, and at that time in my career, I'm thinking I'm I'm watching him box. He's young. I'm gonna school him just on talent. Uh, this is gonna be easy work. I mean, I, I, he's a tough kid. He he didn't have any fights, but I thought mm, he's he's still young. He's green. My my skill set is gonna kill him. Eight days before that fight, the, my right rib gets separated. Eight days before. It was the Friday before I was, I, we were leaving Sunday morning to go to Germany. And on that Friday, crack rib. Eight days before. Everything was set. So I argue with my wife, just like I did with Ice. We argue. Why are you going? Why are you fighting? I'm like, everything's set. No, I won't fight me still. This is the opportunity to fight Vladimir again. It was the, the first, it was the IBF tournament. It was the first fight of the IBF tournament of, I think, uh, it was two other guys on the other bracket, I mean, on the other side. They fought, and then me and uh, Povetkin fight. Calvin Brock and, uh, and, and Eddie Chambers. And Eddie Chambers. They were on the other side. So I, I'm ready to do it. I'm like, okay, that happened. I had lidocaine patches on the whole week in Germany. I'm like, oh, man, not again, my, my ribs. In the, in the fight, I mean, put back it decent. He kept picking the pace up, though. I mean, he getting stronger and stronger every round. That's the only thing, only thing I really remember about the fight is, is that. And after the fight, Vladimir called my lawyer and said, why did your dad stop the fight? Why did his dad stop the fight? He wasn't, he didn't seem hurt. I wasn't, I wasn't hurt, nothing. He stopped it because he knew I wasn't winning the fight at the time and he knew I was injured. So he was like, I'm going to stop the fight. And another fight where I look back at my career and I go, man, I shouldn't have fought. But if you don't fight, who do you fight? It, it, it was just tough, man. I, I'm like, God, I had to go through all this stuff, and you still got to fight. You still got to try to 
you have nobody want to fight you. You won't make the money. You won't do this. This won't happen for you. You're on the B side. You know, it, it was just difficult. I'm with Don King. I'm, it seems like you're never getting a break. And then when you finally get the break, and then it now you're trying to get another break because now you're back in another situation. That's just how my career went. And for me, in my career, when I got done with my very last fight, I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't at all. And people say, man, you want two heavyweight titles, but it was how I won them. The first one, yeah. And then the second one was the best moment of my life. And then I have to deal with all this promotion. Now the reality hit of you dealing with this, now you got to deal with this, 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 all these different issues when it should be the happiest time of your life. I just, I wasn't satisfied. Still, I've been in boxing my whole life, and this is my boxing story? No, I, I wasn't, I'm, I'm not satisfied. And I, I'm not going to be satisfied until I, till I die, until I get what's really mine. And what's really mine to me is a middleweight, super middleweight, and light heavyweight title. That's how much I pushed myself in my mind on my comeback. So we can talk about the comeback now. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so, yeah, just like I say, the timeline, you know, after the the uh, the, the, the Povetkin fight, like like we say, you, you come back in the States, you have that fight um, against uh, Sean George, which obviously you dropped down to light heavyweight yeah. for, and we know that, uh, we don't even need to talk about that. We know that that was uh, yeah. a bit crazy looking back now, really. Um, then, yeah, your final career fight, it was good because you went to Germany and got a win over there um, March 21st, 2009. It took you four rounds to get rid of Matthias Sandow. Um, <laughs> just just a real... I just I don't want to go into a different area here. I just want to ask you a real quick question. But that fight against Povetkin, should you have won, you'd have gone on to fight the winner of Chambers and Brock, which obviously would be Chambers. That would have been an interesting fight because he was another small guy for heavyweight with slickness and speed like you. Just briefly, Chris, how do you think that fight would have played out? Hey, I feel like nobody's going to beat me. I, that's how I feel. He had speed, quickness. I'm left-handed. He didn't have everybody moving. He stayed, he covers up. So, and he's shorter than me. And he's fast. And I, I, I thought it would have been a, a amazing fight going back and see who's faster. But it, it boils down to me, are you going to break? Is my defense going to break you? Because once I start putting my defense on you, how are you mentally? And with guys like Eddie, he's used to it being his way also that way just like me but my thing is whoever's gonna break it whoever's gonna break each other first win and i and i felt like this i'm not gonna break i gotta get to vladimir klitschko i had to and then that happens i fight for Beckham when i fought for Beckham. so you know stuff happens but i i think it's been a great fight it's been you know he, he was a younger guy much younger at that time but I still had it in me to be champion, you know, to be champion, to fight Vladimir Klitschko. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get to Vladimir, period. So if I would have got past Povetkin, 
Oh, man, one step to Vladimir again? Oh, I made sure that would have happened. <laughs> okay. And like we say, your, your career uh, came to an end there. 41 wins, five losses, and one draw. Um, it took you about a year, if I'm not mistaken, to decide to retire. What kind of went through your mind during that time? Because obviously, Chris, as you said, you were not satisfied with the way things ended, and that has led to you now, um, at, at this age, to turn around and say, I want to come back um, again, you know? Well, when, when I... When I went down to light heavyweight, I did it all wrong. I mean, I did it the worst way, starving, doing a, I didn't know nutrition like I know it now. So, and after my last fight, my wife, my lawyer, everybody had me retired. I wasn't done mentally. I just wasn't done. I was done at heavyweight, but I was thinking, what did I do wrong when I lost all this weight? I mean, it was it was bad the way I did it. So I started doing research, but I came down with chronic pain in 2009. I had nerve damage in my foot that just came. It's neuropathy. I didn't know what it was. And that took, took me on a series of, man, of depression, suicidal, I mean, it was bad. I took my family through a lot of stuff over the course of 11 years. It was, the pain got so bad in my foot, I wanted to cut my foot off. And then I wanted to cut, then they said phantom pain. If you would have phantom pain, which you would have no foot, but you would think you, you, you still have pain. You think your foot's still there, but it's no foot, but you still have pain. I said, no, I can't take that. But it was so bad, I wanted to cut it off at the leg. I said, what about the leg? They said, it'd be still phantom pain. So I'm taking this pain. I can't take prescription drugs. They made me suicidal. I got arrested downtown Los Angeles. I lost my mind. I mean, I lost it bad. That's a whole story, too. What what year was that, Chris? What year was that? That was 2011. Okay. 2011, this happened because my pain came down in 2009, <clears throat> and I was going everywhere. I mean, I spent so much money on all because I, I can't, I, I couldn't take prescription drugs, so I was going to all these homeopathic doctors, and nobody was helping me. They didn't know how to fix, you know, the nerve damage, and oh man, I've been, I went everywhere, did everything, been, oh, been through it. All the way from 29, from 29, 2009 to 2017, where I changed my diet. And when I changed my diet, I mean, I went from changing one item, then two items to feeling better, feeling a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better to changing everything, and now I'm totally healed. I mean, I had a hip replacement because I needed both of my shoulders replaced, both of my uh, hips replaced, got one hip replacement, and and the nerve damage in my foot was worse than both my hips and both my shoulders put together. The nerve, nerve pain is the worst pain. Oh, it was crazy. So going through all this stuff, 
I'm still eating like a heavyweight. And I started noticing that in 2017, I started noticing every time I eat the certain foods, my foot will flare like out of control. And I'm starting to notice it more and more. I'm thinking, man, I got to change something. So, like I said, I change one item, two items, and then slowly but surely, I don't eat hardly no meat, wheat, dairy, sugar, gluten, I mean, nothing. Everything I be organic, healthy, and plant-based, and I feel the best I've ever felt in my life. But when you're in a in a situation where you're, you're wanting to take your life, and I don't say that lightly. Like, this is not like a game, like, People say, oh, yeah, I was suicidal. No, it was it was real. Like, you really want to take your life. Something that you never even think about in your, in your wildest dreams, and now you're thinking about that because you're in so much dang pain. And I tell all the pain survivors out there, fight, man, fight. You live one time. And that's when I thought, I lived one time, and I and I spent 11 years in dang pain. Missed 11 years of my life. No more. I said, from this point on, I'm going to live life to the fullest, inspiring, and be inspired. Let's get it. And Chris, when you talk about being suicidal, was that, um, you know, something that crossed your mind purely because of the pain you were in? Or, or, or was it paired with depression that got you to that point where you're thinking about such obviously horrific things? Pain. Pain, okay. Pain led me to depression, suicide. When you're in chronic pain, not this is not going away. It's not like, so if you, if you stub your toe, you know that pain going away. When you have something that stays with you all day, all day, it's just with you all day. You can't, you can't walk away from. You can't leave it. It just stays with you. It makes you go freaking. What do you do? You and you can't take any pills, nothing. So, in in twenty fifteen, twenty fifteen, the year my mom died, Shannon Briggs, you know, boxer Shannon Briggs. Of course, of course. It introduced me to cannabis. It was the first thing in seven years that lowered my pain some. I lost my mind. I mean, I literally, wow. I smoked, I smoked, I smoked cannabis. I started smoking it, and then I started getting educated on it, on how the leaves work, how the oils work. Now I'm really educated on it. But when... I started smoking. I never smoked a day in my life. Never had a drink of alcohol a day in my life. Never smoked or nothing. I smoked so much marijuana, you couldn't. I smoked more than anybody because it helped with the pain. I was going crazy. Like, this stuff helps. It helps. And it was easing my pain down. But it don't. it didn't cure it. Other high doses of, of cannabis helped me get cured and my diet. But I, I was a high dose from a cannabis, cannabis expert, which heals the body. And I was doing it the right way instead of just smoking. And when when that started, it saved my life. 
So, Chris, is that is that is that a thing of the past, or are you still blazing up? <laughs> no, every day. I never. Now I do it the rest of my life. Okay. I, actually, I'm trying to try to get it passed in some way in boxing. If if you really study cannabis in the right way and how it's supposed to be used, we have cells around the brain as that receptor sites for cannabis. It's for cannabis. So it helps the brain. We, we won't have all these issues. Of, it will really cut down a lot of issues in boxing with, with health. Because the real thing in boxing, man, we're going to, it's a head sport. We're going to get some brain damage. Period. I don't care who you are. It's just part of the sport. We sparring. We're fighting all the time. We're constantly getting hit in the head. Constantly. And nobody talks about it. The guy's walking around slurring. My speech is slower. I know, I'm not stupid. It's part of boxing. So this can help in many research. In doing research. It's clinical research on cannabis and the brain. But no, I don't want to listen to it because they think it's just a drug. People want to get high. And, no, it's a plant. It serves many purposes, many for the human body. We got receptor sites for cannabis. So use it so it can heal the body. Every day, every day I will, I, I'll either smoke, drink the leaves, I put it in my, in my drink. I do everything with cannabis. It's all through my body. It's not helping me in training. It's not helping me in any way in boxing. Matter of fact, it slows me down. I'm tired. I'm like, I want to chill. But I know one thing about this plant. It heals the body in some way. It heals the body. I'm living proof of it. Believe me. Chris, um, again, when I do these interviews, I usually do these interviews with guys who've retired a long time ago and they're not thinking about making a comeback. So I've got like a bunch of kind of, I've probably got about six questions, something like that, quick fire questions about the past. I want to just make them really short because I want to stay on the yeah. subject that we're at. Um, so if you can just answer yeah. these as quick as possible, we'll get back onto what, you know, the, the current affairs. Was there anyone in your career, Chris, I'm guessing obviously at heavyweight, that you wished you had the chance to fight but never got the chance? I think I'm probably going to beat you to the answer and say Lennox or Tyson must be the two guys. Yep, those two. Lennox Lewis more than Tyson at that time because he was the man at that time when I beat David Tua. He was world champion. I was guaranteed to fight him, and I – and I was so excited that I knew it wasn't going to happen. I knew it wasn't. And it didn't happen. He gave the build up. So Lennox Lewis was the guy. If it was Mike Tyson there, it would Tyson. I, I would love I, – I, I, I have nothing against none of these guys. I love them. Matter of fact, I look up to them. But just to have a chance to be in the ring, to say I fought Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson, the Batman Holyfield, is just great. I love it. And who? So, Lennox Lewis, yeah. Sorry, Chris. Lewis and Tyson. Lewis and Tyson. No, just Lewis and Tyson. Who would you say was the biggest puncher you ever stepped in the ring with? Oh, <laughs> man. Honestly, I, you know, I get that question a lot. These guys hit so hard. Like I told you, when I went back to Uriah Grant. <laughs> man, he hit 
so hard. He weighed 199 pounds. I mean, so many guys punch hard. I, I, everybody, it's just heavyweights. It's just different to me. I'm so used to fighting. Sm- I was so used to fighting smaller guys that it was just unreal how hard these guys hit. Like it's hard. Levi Billups to Lionel Butler. I mean, I just keep the list go on and on. I, I can name all kinds. Of- Man, he, uh, Jose Rebolta, when I fought Jose Rebolta, he hit so hard when I fought him, you know, he passed his prime. And all I was thinking was major upset. He hit me on the shoulder when I first came out because I always try to take a punch on the shoulder and see how hard somebody hit. He hit me on the shoulder. It was like he knocked my shoulder cap off. And, and I was like, ah, Maybe his heart. If that was on a chin, major upset right there. I was undefeated. <laughs> so these guys hit so hard. That's 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 why it's so hard for me to say. Well, he hit hard because as soon as if I say Vladimir Klitschko, another name pop up. Okay. I can go with David too. I can go with you know Uriah Grant. I can go with Leno Butler. I can go with this guy. You know everybody just hit hard. <laughs> okay. I mean I can't say. One just one guy. All right, that's fair enough. Um, yeah. Again, briefly, I want to ask you if you had any regrets. If you could go back and change something, <laughs> again, I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, did you have any regrets? Yeah. Uh, if you could go back and change something, what would it be? In a perfect situation, I've never fought a heavyweight. Oh, okay. Why? <laughs> it would been no. It was the craziest thought ever. So I never fought a heavyweight. Okay, um, and who who would you say, Chris, of all the guys you box, was the best all round fighter? The guy that had it always got to be surely Vladimir or Vitali, surely. Vladimir Klitschko. Yeah. Uh, it, it, to me, it, it was the hardest, the hardest fight at heavyweight I could I could possibly have. I mean, when you fight against guys like Frederick Kendra going back and forth with speed and stuff, that's that's tough too. But stylistic wise, being outgunned in every area, Vladimir Klitschko easy. <laughs> and again, just give me one name here, here, Chris, Vitali or Vladimir. In your opinion, you box them both. Who's the better brother? I, I think Vitali would beat Vladimir, in in my opinion. I didn't think you was gonna say that. Actually, but, I didn't think you'd say that. But but to fight to fight one of them, I would rather fight Vitaly. Okay. Because I you, <laughs> I look at styles. I I don't look at me per se because I'm small. I mean, when when you match him up against a bigger heavyweight, it's totally different fight. Now, so you match you match Vitaly up against Sam Peter, and you match his brother up against Sam Peter. Then what? Vitaly have an easy time. And I don't care if Sam Peter was in his prime. He's having an easier time, but Vladimir not. It's going to be a tough fight every time. Sam will come at him because they're two punchers. See, Vitaly thinks boxing before punching. Vladimir thinking knockout before boxing. So his boxing ability makes him a harder fight because he can he can bang you out, but at the same time, he can box you for 12 rounds easy, where Vladimir... 
may, if he don't knock you out, he may give up. Like everybody's saying, the way he's a, you know, he's kind of gun shy, he's kind of cowardly. Well, he's just a front run. He gonna blow you out early, but you taking his shot, mm, he kind of gun shy later in the fight or early in the fight. He just he's kind of gun shy, but Vitaly will fight you. Like he'll fight you to the end. He got that tough guy mentality, and that's what I noticed for me between the, both the brothers. Even though Vladimir had a better style against me than Vitaly, but if you see those two fight, if you break it down their styles and who they fought and how they fought them, I I, I go with Vitaly Klitschko. I mean, I study a lot of boxing, man. I know I'd be talking like, you know, maybe over somebody here when I when I talk about the two, but. I go into all the little styles and all the fights they had and compare both of them. And then even for me, fighting them, comparing them, I'm like, hmm, if I was just a little bit bigger heavyweight, it wouldn't be so easy for Vladimir. But I could be a little bit bigger heavyweight with Vitaly, and he's still going to try to fight me the same. I mean, and if you see him fight other fighters, he fought Lennox Lewis. They fought in the trend. Like, he fought him. Like, he went right at him. I just had a different style. I made him miss, and I'm, I'm doing all these tricks, and it kind of threw him off. It didn't throw Vladimir off at all. Hmm. He stayed strong, stayed steady the whole time. And I'm like, dang. And he's good, but they fought each other. I think that's how he beat him. That's just my opinion. No, and that's that's an opinion I I value massively. Getting on to the the present times, Chris, I must ask. Obviously, you know, um, you're 50 years of age now. You've you've got the comeback on your mind. What initially triggered you to want to come back? Because you've had a long time out. It hasn't just been a short period of time, like you said. It's been over 10 years. You've had a lot of down times, I guess, low points, I should say. In that time. What triggered it? Because I'm I'm thinking it's not... Some people are going to probably say, hey, he's he's smoking weed now, just like Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson made his comeback, but I know it's nothing to do with that, that you're coming back. <laughs> no. No. I... Honestly, my mom died five years ago. So, I, I had come back on my mind... Since I retired, I, I I had to think of a way, man. I got to think of a way to fight at my original weight class, and then I started studying nutrition and food and just the mindset. But my mom died five years ago, and four years ago, I had to talk to my mom. I had to talk to her, and it was late at night, and on the couch, I see my mom. And I tell people this, they're like, man, you crazy, but this is my story. I see my mom I'm sitting on the couch, and I had to talk to her because I always call my mother about boxing questions. And this is a big one because I'm, I think about coming back to boxing, so I really had to talk to her about that. Nobody else. So I see my mom sitting on the couch late at night. We're talking talking the pros and cons of coming back. She's breaking it down to me. You sure? Had you exhausted every possibility in your mind of how you want to do this? How Breaking it all down. And then at the very end of everything, she's left me with this. Chris, 
Whatever you put your mind to, you can do. She's been telling me that since I was a little boy. Since I was a little boy. She always told me that. Through all my boxes, she whispered to me, you know, whatever you put your mind to, Chris, you can do this. You can do this. She said, that's all I'm going to leave you with. And that's the last time I visited my mom. Whatever you put your mind to. From that point on, I've trained every day of my life. Three years. Three years ago. Every single day. Ask, you can ask anybody in my family. I became an addict. An addict to try to get to back, get back what I should have got, what I should have got. My middleweight title. My super middleweight title. My light heavyweight title. And people think I'm crazy. But I look at it like this, man. We live one time. When I turned 50 years old, I thought about it. When I turned 50, I said, man, I'm 50 years old. Look how fast it came. It came like that. So in another 50 years, if it go like that, I'd be 100. What have I accomplished? Am I, am I just going to sit here and talk and think about it? Or am I going to be a doer and just do it? Do it in my life. Do it in my one life. I said, forget it. I'm going for it. Who cares what people think about me? I care less. I can, well, he's 50. Man, you're going you to get hurt. You're going to get killed. Well, you will see. Chris. Uh, that's all I got to say. What, what are you weighing at the moment? Right now, I weigh 100. I don't know if you know in pounds, but I weigh like 163 pounds. Okay. Okay. So just over middleweight. Okay. Um, yeah, very small. So, so Chris, it's natural. Obviously, Bernard Hopkins, a guy that you know is you know he holds the world record for being the oldest world champion in boxing. If you were to come back and win just yeah. one world title, you'd break that record. I mean, it's about to get broken. How soon? It's about to get broken. How soon, Chris, are we likely to see you back in the ring? Realistically, have you had conversations? Is there a plan in place? April. Right now, April. Okay. I wanted to get back in January this month and then next month, but they're saying with COVID, April. And and, and I'm going to kill it. I'm in the best shape ever. And you think the Chris Bird at heavyweight was good? Watch. You're going to see a 50-year-old man, you go, it's going to blow your mind. Because if you watch me spar right now, you'll go, oh, I don't even want to say the word, but you'll go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> this guy is better than he was when he was at heavyweight. When I look at myself at heavyweight, I'm slow. I was fat. I'm soft. I'm like, ugh. I hated my body. I hated the way I looked. I hated the speed, the movement. It was all slow. It was a slower version of me. I look at it now. I'm like, that's not me. Ugh. But they see me in the gym now. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. You, you see me in the gym, you, you go, wow. I put money, you will, if I'm smiling, you will stop and start watching. You go, hmm, that's unusual. Hmm. So, Chris. Who is that guy? So, so, so we saw Mike Tyson come back. It's, this is, you know, it was a bit of a spectacle, a bit of an event. Everyone was tuned in just to, just to watch. You know, it was almost a bit circus-like. That is not the case with you. Yeah. This is a serious, serious thing. The plan is to to try and become a free weight world champion. Sorry, a four weight world champion if you yeah. include heavyweight. Yeah, 
Yeah, this is a, a for real thing. Like, I'm not playing. Like, that Tyson Roy Jones, that's, that was great for them. But that was a, like a – that was an exhibition. It was true exhibition. I'm coming back to fight. I want to I wanna box. I want to see if my old 50-year-old self can outwit and outthink and out and out strength out everything these young guys. I feel I can't. I feel like I'm 22 years old, just like I just came back from the Olympics. I feel great. I'm, I'm like, okay, let's get it. I'm not intimidated, afraid. I spar with young guys all the time. So, and I'm understanding what's coming back at me now because I'm smaller. Guys are quicker, but my reflexes, you know, they're, they're really good. And that's the first thing that people would say, but they never fought. The reflexes go. The re- yeah, you re- of course you get older. Your diet, especially the way you live and what you put in your body, if it's not good, of course your reflexes are they'll fade. But if you're healthy, uh, they they come back better than ever. Chris, my reflexes are on point. Have you got? Yes. Have you looked at any of the middleweights? Because obviously that's the target. To you know, you're 163. You're obviously going to be looking to fight at 160. Have you perhaps looked at any of the champions? Is there anyone that you've got your eye on that you believe you can beat in particular? Because I'm guessing you don't want to come back and have 10 warm-up fights. You want to kind of throw yourself in the deep end straight away. Yeah, I'm gonna have a couple warm-up fights, like two. Give my yeah. You know, I haven't fought in 13 years, get my feet wet, but yeah. my sparring is going great. And and honestly, um, the middleweight division is on fire. And the one guy in the middle in the middleweight division, the boogeyman of it is Demetrius Andre. Of course, that's the matchup. Okay, he's considered the best. Considered the best without being the best. Because we, we all know who the best is when somebody don't fight them. Okay. When when people avoid. See, I, I hate this. I hate how boxing is. Everybody avoiding. You got four you got four middleweight champions. Four. Why? Three three, four middleweight let all the champions get together. Let's let's get this going. You got promoters fighting, everybody's fighting. I'm trying to make fights. I always try to make fights at heavyweight. If I come back at this at this weight class, I'm trying to fight the best in the weight class. I don't, I'm not going to scurry around. I'm going to get a few fights in. I'm like, I'm going to challenge him, 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 and him. I don't care how old I am. And don't care how old I am because now all of a sudden you're scared. Well, you know he's good because now most of the coaches are my age. They know me. So they know how good I, I really can be. They know how good I am. So already, already, all the older fighters, Floyd, Oscar, Bernard, my when my name go in the hat, everybody, I don't want to fight. He's too big. He he's too this. He's too already with the older guys. So let's see the younger guys do the same thing. Because when you have a skill set that's unusual, I'm left-handed too, and now I'm punching. I wasn't a puncher at heavyweight, but I'll bang you out at middleweight. I'll, I'll sit there and trade with you. I don't care. I don't feel you can beat me. I fought at heavyweight. I got a lot of, I got a lot of knowledge in this sport, and especially fighting bigger guys. So I'm not worried about these middleweights. 
So I'm a major threat to everybody in this weight class, a major threat, and they know it. And Chris, you and I and I'm willing. I'm willing to prove it. That's the that's the main thing. I'm willing. I want to prove that a 50 year old, a 50 year old man, can win a world title. Chris, that's you, my motivation. You mentioned April there. I don't want you to give away too much information if if um, you know if everything's not you know, if all boxes are not yet ticked. But is there anything else you can tell us in terms of location-wise or just anything at all? Is it is it just April? Is that all you have at the minute to divulge? Right now, today, as of today, I'm hearing April. They, they were saying maybe at the end of March because of the COVID and shows and, and you know, the placing and everything of how everything going. But right now, April, hopefully the comeback is is uh, April, and it's going to be a big one. Yeah, it's going to be a big one because I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this back. I'm bringing the old school back. But all my old people out there, let's get excited. It's time, it's time to get it. It's our time. So I feel like, man, it is the perfect time. It's in covid Time so a lot of people are glued to to TV. It may not be that it may not be that many people at the fight, but at least you glued to TV. And you will see a fifty year old wow the crowd. You're gonna be like, hey, he's back. Oh, I'm back. So I'm I'm happy and I'm ready for the world title. And Chris, my final real question for you now. This is one that I must ask to everyone that we speak to from overseas. I get some great answers to this question. Guys over here would love to hear your answer to this, especially your answer to this. You you know boxing inside out. Uh, who comes to mind when I ask you, who's your favorite fighter of all time from the UK? Any era? Wow, UK have so many fighters. God! Yeah, that was a good one. You put me on the spot big time from the UK because, goodness, how many fighters? Now, okay, where's Joe Calzaghe from? Yeah, he's from the UK, yeah. He is? Yeah. Okay. He is from the UK. Man, it, you guys got so many good fighters. Cause it, was, it was a point where y'all had more champions than in the, in the England, I think last year or two years ago, than the U.S. I'm like, man, England is killing it. UK is, woo. I'm just trying to think back. Some of the most popular answers we get to that question are, um, some people say Kawasaki. Some people, the most popular answer is Prince Nassim Hamed. Everyone loves him. Um, Lennox Lewis is another popular one. Um, yeah. You get some people saying Chris Eubank or Nigel Benn or Ricky Hatton. Nigel Benn, yeah. I think I'm going to go with the undefeated one. Okay. Honestly. Kawasaki. Joe Kawasaki. Because, to me, he didn't get the credit that he he really deserved. Because if you think about, he had one draw. I think what, he was 48-0-1. No, think. no, no. 46-0. No draws. What? Oh, no draws. So 46 and 0. I thought you had draw. My my bad. To to fight and go undefeated that long, not to be the best. Yeah. To stay undefeated is I was 26 and 0 when I lost. 
and I and to get to thirty, then to get to forty is like oh, really. And you fighting at high level. This is not like you fighting still on the the low level nightclub level. He fight at a higher level, so he has to be the best. Anybody that go undefeated to me, and you fighting at higher levels, you just not popular. As popular as like certain people, so they won't give them the credit. But I, I, I know boxing. Joe Calzaghe is the man. Yeah, no, absolutely, very popular. One of the best, one of the best fighters in history. In history, in the top ten, he, he went undefeated, man. Come on, I mean. It's not like he, he went undefeated with Cyrus Guy. I, I remember he whooped Roy Butt, and he and he and I was at the fight when he beat Bernard Hopkins. So he's great. Yeah, Jeff Lacey as well. Yeah. Oh, Jeff, the, the, the Jeff Lacey fight. That's not even. It. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was child's play. Yeah. Oh man, he smoked him. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> But uh, just finally, Chris, man, obviously the UK fans absolutely adore you. I know that you know that. I know that you've obviously had lots and lots of people message you and stuff like that, support you over the years from the UK. What's your closing message before we wrap this up, just to your supporters from over here, man, that's you know been with you on the journey and I'm sure will be with you on the, uh, the next chapter? Man, honestly, I hope in my one life, in my second career, in my one life, I get to live one, and we all get to live one time. I hope I get to fight the UK. Honestly, that that's that's one of my dreams. I, I I can tell you a story of one of my dreams that got crushed from a guy from the UK. It it was a uh, a promoter from the UK, Frank Warren. When, when my contract was up with my local promoter, I was so excited because now I'm 21 and 0, and promoters want me. Like I didn't get signed after Olympics. Now they want me. So Frank Warren, he was one of the guys, one of the promoters that want me. I fly over to England to a Prince Nassim Hamed fight with Frank Warren. He, I was so excited. I was like, I, I can't believe he won. He want to sign. So we come to the fight. We, we come in on Friday, fight Saturday. No, actually, we came in on Thursday. Fight was Saturday. We left on Sunday. We come. He never, we go to the fight. We do weigh in everything. He never talked to him. The whole trip. I mean, he flew us first class. We did everything. I mean, it was a great trip. Get to the fight. I'm so excited to talk to Frank Warren. I'm like, oh, you don't talk to him. Hmm. Wait, you fly me over here to sign me, but you don't talk to him. So the fight goes by. Sunday comes. Go to the airport. We fly back. What the hell? Me and my wife look like, me and my wife said, damn, he never talked to us the whole time. What, what was this trip about? This was, what? Come to find out later, a guy told him that I was born. You don't want to sign him. He ain't that good. So he didn't talk to him. Wow. De- you talk about devastated? Devastated? I never said anything about it. But to this day, I- really? 
it was devastating because after I, after the Olympics, I didn't get signed. So now it's time. Oh, I had to fight to get twenty one and zero at a heavyweight just to get recognized. Now I'm noticed. He noticed me, but now he don't notice. Hmm. That hurt out. I, I was thinking the whole time to this day. I don't know what happened. He, I just heard somebody told him that. Somebody told me that. He never spoke to me ever. Who does that? Who flies somebody somewhere and then don't talk to him? That's crazy. Doesn't even acknowledge. Never even looked. Never even looked my way. Like I wasn't even there. Wow. And that's one time I thought, man, I could fight in England. Oh man, they they they'll probably appreciate my style more there than here. Yeah, yeah. Because they didn't. Nobody really appreciated my style. I'm, I'm, I'm a little guy fighting at heavyweight. I should get some credit for it, and I'm winning. So, I, and I thought, well, the English people, they really, I think they really appreciate that. Man, this is a great opportunity to fight in England. Didn't get it. I'm not mad at them or nothing about it. Just, you know, that's just something that happened. I, it, it was unfortunate because I wish I would have had a chance to. To show my talent in front of your, the fans in England, man, that would been ah, I would have been so excited. But you know, stuff happens. You never know, man. It could happen in the future. It could happen in the future. We'd love you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, I appreciate this talk. I appreciate everything you have me on. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Honestly, Chris, it's been an absolute honor walking down memory lane with you and looking to the future. Thank you so much for your time. God bless you, and I hope we can speak again in the future. Yes, same to you, man. You have a great night. Have a great life. Enjoy yourself. Okay, and this wraps up episode 276 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the early part of the show. A massive, massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former two-time heavyweight world champion, Chris Bird. It was great. It really was great speaking with him. And the way he believes in himself for the comeback, I think I am pretty convinced. I must admit, I am excited. I will be tuned in to see what 50 year old Chris Bird can bring on his comeback to the ring at middleweight. It is incredible. But if anyone can do it, he can. But that's about everything from myself. A huge thank you to all of you for listening once again. I hope you've enjoyed it. It has been a long show. I hope you've enjoyed the in-depth part of the interview. Try to enjoy your weekends, people, if you can. Remember to stay safe, spread positivity, and we shall see you all again next week.